Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Velkommen til sesong 3 av podcastserien De som bygger det nye Norge. Produsert av Oslo Business Forum i samarbeid med Silvia Ceres. Hej och välkommen till Oslo Business Forum sin podcastserie om de som bygger det nya Norge. Här är er Silvia Ceres och idag har vi en um, international gäst med oss i studio så vi går över till engelsk nu. Our guest today is Kate Murphy, the CEO of Play Magnus. Welcome Kate. Thank you for having me. It's lovely having you here. Um, I was so inspired when you talked about game science and how you think broadly about using the Magnus effect on basically the strategic um, competitiveness of Norway, both in school and in business. And we'll get back to many of those areas. Um, We usually start these um, podcasts with a a kind of a personal introduction of the guest. And I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about Kate. (laughs) Sure. So I'm a 32-year-old Canadian, originally from Vancouver, BC, and I moved here six years ago to Oslo. Uh, I started in the consulting field and then moved eventually into the chess space, which is where I reside today. The chess space. Yeah, (laughs) but we've (laughs) created it. (laughs) But Magnus has done a nice job of making it popularized. (laughs) Yeah, he's done a great job. Maybe unwillingly or un, 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 what shall I say unconsciously? Yes. <laughs> but but uh, before we leave Kate as a topic, uh, can, can you tell us a little bit more? You you are um, you you came here because of Magnus or no? <laughs> I, <laughs> I came here because I met a Norwegian during my MBA program back in Canada, and um, thought, well, what a great opportunity to live and work in Europe. And so I uh, I left uh, right after graduating and came here. And found wow, Norway's a lot more different than I had had assumed when I when I came from so? Canada. It was far more difficult to find work than I first thought, <laughs> uh, mainly because speaking the Norwegian language, <laughs> as we're not doing now, is hugely important in the in the market here. It is, mm-hmm. and also having mm-hmm. Norwegian educational references. I yes, think. Yes. Katie, what was your study subject? In uh, in my undergraduate, I studied business with a major in marketing and international business. And then I went on to doing my MBA focused in broad range of uh, topics uh, in the... Not only chess. No, I didn't study <laughs> chess at all. In fact, when I first got my job, I didn't even know how the pieces moved on the board. So it was a steep learning curve those first few months. I'll say, uh, I'll, I'll tell you a, 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 a fun fact now that I'm really ashamed of. And it is... Uh, 
on a recent ATEC conference by Aftenposten, they invited a few of the speakers to have a, a, a speed chess session with Magnus and they needed a few more ladies and I was invited twice to join <laughs> and I didn't dare. I know how the chess pieces move, but I thought, you know, it'd be a, a too painful experience for <laughs> Magnus. And now I really, really regret. So you'll have to bring me back yeah, with Magnus. <laughs> there'll be another turn, I'm sure. <laughs> Listen, I, I think actually we have a, a, another overlapping interest here. And, uh, you know, you came to Norway because of love. I came back to Norway because of love. I, I'm actually married to a Norwegian myself as well. I came here because of my parents. I studied and worked here and then decided this is too small, too <laughs> provincial. And, you know, they, they only care about skiing. And, and, and I thought I, I need to do something bigger. And I went to Oxford and then to Silicon Valley and started appreciating the Norwegian sense of equality and their... Um, actually stubbornly innovative approach to life more than I realized on my first turn in Norway. And then my Norwegian wanted back to Norway, as they always do. So uh, I was repatriated in a way <laughs> to Norway because of love, but also because I appreciated the Norwegian approach to work and life and everything in between more and more. Do, do you have some perspective on that? Absolutely. I mean, coming from North America, where the work environment is far different in terms of expectation for hours and time put in, and coming here and seeing there was an encouragement to leave at a normal time and spend time with family and friends and have a social life where you could explore your interests and probably better yourself in your work was quite a, a shock, but a wonderful uh, experience once I started to work with it. I realized I started to have more interests outside of my my job and that actually played a beautiful role into what I'm doing today. For instance, upon moving to Norway, uh, I had time after work to go and practice yoga and I went and became a yoga teacher as well. And now I'm teaching yoga to developers in our company. And it's just an interesting way to see how that actually brings in benefits into the company. You're allowed to be a whole package here. Yeah. <laughs> but, I, but I'm curious because when I talk about this with my friends in Silicon Valley, they tell me, well, Sylvia, that might work in Norway, but it doesn't work in the real world, not in Silicon Valley. And, and you know, they, they, they think it's all about the number of hours and it's simply a necessity. I, I actually believe that, you know, if life was a race, then yes, but life is a marathon. And so, no. What, what's your experience when you try to communicate this internationally? Well, looking at when trying to communicate it internationally, it's it's hard hit back. Always my friends back home will say, oh, it's crazy to not be working until nine or 10 o'clock at night when you're running a startup. And some nights I do. But when we're coming to the average day to day, doing that will just completely take away your ability to be creative because you don't have enough space to think outside of the box when you're working those crazy hours and driving the same topics home over and over again you're never stepping out giving yourself time to read something or uh, have a conversation that's more social rather than focused and business oriented and those can bring about different innovations and ways of of working and that might be why Scandinavia is so innovative 
I think that's a really interesting uh, a point which I would like to start making more internationally over our Silicon Valley friends, among others, because I really believe, you know, they might also develop fantastic tools to optimize us, even our brain activity. But I really believe that, you know, technology is exponential. We humans are not. And we are still the critical factor in asking the difficult questions and getting to the right answers in this very kind of um, complex space that you get the answers in. And I I believe that when we... Um, you know, that our brain still works in ways we haven't been able to understand fully. And it needs time in order to make these unsuspected co combinations and connections that are really the breakthroughs. I don't know if you have any perspectives on this from Chess and Magnus. Mm. You know, is he extremely effective automaton <laughs> or um, obviously something else? Mm. As far as Chess goes, it certainly changed trains the brain in a certain way. It trains the brain to recognize patterns. It trains you to visualize an entire board and see all options. It trains you to think cause and effect. It trains uh, critical thinking. And it's always using that part of the brain, which is... Critical thinking, though. Mm, yes. So you're not following strategies uncritically. Well, you can. How does it come in? Well, chess, the opening... In the opening, you often have a memory of what this opening should look like. One of the things that Magnus does differently is he often tries to get people out of book, thinking strategically and coming outside of the memory. So he will surprise them with an unusual move and they'll, you know, they start dancing tango according to very well set the defined rules. And then he'll do a very strange step and see which way they stumble. Exactly. That's what he usually does, and it can be transferred to many other areas outside of the chessboard, of course. When you are operating with your competition in a way in which everyone expects you to, bringing out the next version of your product, continuing to develop that product, what if you were to bring out something totally different out of left field? How will they respond? And that's one of the things that Magnus has done so beautifully and has become so popular for, not just his... In his, chess. In chess. Mm. Uh, not just his title, but because of the way he plays. It's an art. Uh, and some people argue that chess is a sport. Some people argue it's an art. And when Magnus plays, a lot of people will say, this is art. That's fun. So basically, and he has defined a uniquely new way. Well, you know, I'm sure that all the world champions have had their own unique ways as well. But it's the same thing you see in football, etc., that some teams play it, you know, by pure muscle power and some people make it into a ballet almost. So uh, we'll get back to Magnus. Um, Play Magnus, then, which you run. Can you tell us a few words about the company? Yeah, absolutely. We started up in 2013, in October. Magnus took on the first world championship title in uh, November of that same year. So we actually started this the company. This idea of commercializing that world champion role, yes. did it come from him or from... It was a conversation that espoused from his management, Espen Ogdestein, his manager, um, I had met in a conversation with our now chairman, Anders Brandt, and we were having a discussion around how to commercialize chess. And their original ideas were around chess boards and chess pieces that looked like Magnus. And then I stepped back from that conversation and thought a little bit further and a little bit deeper about how could we really tap into Magnus's brand and, and chess and came up with, let's go digital. 
I mean, that's... And, and do something other than ads. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, it's been definitely a combination of people coming together. And Magnus's vision is around getting more youth playing chess. And so that also came into the fold of what kind of products were we to create that were meaningful to him that he could stand behind. And at the same time, we're going to make a good impact on the on the world and at the same time drive a profit. So it's it was a combination of uh, quite a few ideologies to to start up Play Magnus. So, so what's your main product today? Today we have two main products, I would argue, uh, both of which are digital. So there's two apps, one of which is called the Play Magnus app, where you which play chess. Which my kids chess. love playing. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people love it. They They say... Magnus, age eight, is the most hated child in the world because <laughs> that's when he started to get quite strong in chess. So that was our first product we launched. And then from there, we realized, wow, people are really getting stuck age eight, age nine. And so we've then spent the last year really working hard on creating the Magnus Trainer, which is the training app that teaches chess in an unorthodox way. How? Huh? It teaches it using traditional theory, which is quite normal. But one of the things we've done very differently is brought in series of mini games in which you are doing skills that are required for chess, but you're not really playing chess. And so you're training your visualization skills, your memorization skills. And in in effect, you will become better at chess when you get to the point uh, at which the, the trainer will take you into chess games. So you're teaching them the tools of the trade that mm. are not obvious to people who haven't kind of gone the proper schooling. Exactly. It's fascinating. Um, I was on a T-Bahn, eh? our subway, um, a metro, and um, I live, uh, my, my end station is Osteros. And uh, this was an afternoon a few years ago. And the kids were going back from high school. And, you know, the girls were very blonde and had the same kind of jacket and shoes and pearls. And the boys had the same kind of a hairstyle and, again, a jacket. And, you know, my initial reaction was, you know, um, fancy, somewhat spoiled, you know, um, marketing-focused kids. And there they were sitting playing chess on their phones <laughs> and talking to each other about this game. And suddenly my whole impression of them changed <laughs> and I was so proud of them. And I was I was amazed at the Magnus effect. And really it has had a huge effect of the kind of almost the national identity of this comp country, sorry, where we went, you know, from being only admirers of people with skis on their feet to this guy with a huge IQ. <laughs> and... and um, so I think Magnus has had a huge success in, in teaching young not only to play chess, but actually to care about an intellectual game. Um, can we talk a little bit more about that? Because you have also huge views on, first of all, I think the, the fact, the Magnus effect, you know, how did that become a part of our national consciousness? Well, watching one of your heroes, you know, come out of the intellectual space and all of a sudden dominate a game where 650 million people are playing around the world and your countryman is... Somewhat bigger than yeah. uh, cross-country skiing. <laughs> Just a little. <laughs> I mean, when you take countries like China and India, it's hard not to be. But when you have a, a brain that is on the top of the game in a scale that size, it, it's kind of incomprehensible to, to really understand what Magnus has accomplished. And 
Norway, I, I don't know if Norwegians really realize how big he is outside of the country as well. I, I think in India, uh, he's an icon. In Russia, he's an icon. In the coasts of the United States, he's an icon. And I think this will grow more and more as he continues to popularize chess by way of being young, hip, and still um, using the brain as this impressive tool. And so very human as well. Mm, he's very down to earth. Very funny, down to earth, and he's so authentic. You'll never see him say something he doesn't mean. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's also his incredibly big uh, kind of social power, mm -hmm. because uh, you have a person that actually cares, but he cares in a in a non um, egoistic way. You know, he really has some visions for others, and he'll tell them. And then, if you want to follow and listen, please do so. <laughs> And maybe we should listen more when one of the smartest people on this earth actually say so. Um, but um, so one thing is, you know, um, that might be the, the, this. So how old is Magnus? He's 27 this month. Only 27. Yeah. And I think that generation and then 10 years up and down, he's probably going to be, and maybe even many generations up and down, he will be the one Norwegian that the world will remember. I think so. And so here we have, Magnus, but then we also have chess, mm. which has powers way beyond the chessboard. And what I was really uh, fascinated by is when you started talking about how you would love to use that to change the way we think, for example, about education. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, in the US right now, there's an incredible program and it's called First Move. And this program is instituted into classrooms grades two and three, and it uses chess, not as chess, but as a tool. And that tool is teaching children spatial reasoning, geography, how to use coordinates, just like you do on a chessboard. It's using math-like uh, exercises, and it's allowing kids to pick up these skills playing a game instead of reading a chess or instead of reading a textbook. And that's quite an incredible feat when you are, by nature of games, getting kids interested and wanting to play outside of school hours and playing with their friends and their parents and their grandparents. And all of a sudden, they're using all of their free time to train their brain. That's fascinating. I was um, one, one of the examples that we talked about earlier was um, how hungry. One of the reasons, by the way, I didn't dare to play Magnus is that I'm Hungarian. And in Hungary, um, also women have a long tradition of being really good at chess. And I thought this is going to be so embarrassing also because of that background I have. But really, there is a, you know, a, a, the Judith uh, and her, Polga and her sister have started a chess school for children, which um, is a set of um, books and um, online tools that teachers have and the, the young have. And they teach you, as you say, spatial reasoning and logic reasoning and many other kinds of maths, in addition to the pure game of chess. And this has been accepted by the national educational system as something that you can actually get school credits for. You do it in your evenings and your weekends, but it accounts for maybe up to 10% of your curriculum for the right age groups. And I think it's made for age groups 10 to 14 or something like that. Um, that's a very new way of thinking school systems as well, where you go out of the very strict, you know, curriculum defined centrally, etc., and into a curriculum that then can be 
flexible, but maybe more adjusted for the future that you need. And you have been talking about how you'd like to see Norway use more of game science, among other things, for education. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what you're talking about here is so important. When we look at our traditional subjects, which are still being taught in schools, you can see that it's not necessarily preparing the children and the youth for the jobs that they're going to have. In fact, most of the jobs that they're going to have don't even exist today. So in order to prepare them for those unknowns, there needs to be some element of where they can explore around these skills that they um, are already interested in. I mean, if you look at today, yes, a doctor, for instance, will need to be trained in all of these ways of diagnosing different types of drugs and different diseases. But the doctor of the future is probably going to need a lot more empathy and social skills because computers and robots are going to be doing the diagnoses and the prescribing of drugs. And understanding how this will shift is, is hugely important for our education system today. And game science can be one of the ways, or gamification can be one of the ways that we can get kids and youth working in areas that aren't just in the core classroom uh, basic topics that we're so used to. So you're saying that game science and gamification are extremely important for training these instrumental skills? Yeah, it can be, absolutely. Can you help us understand what game science is versus gamification? Yeah, so game science is essentially the science of using game mechanics to teach or train. In any game that you play, you're always learning. Any any game. That is the whole idea of a game, as you learn and then you progress. Whereas game mechanics are the specific uh, tools used within the game to uh, learn. So that could be earning points and stars. It could be how you jump or how you uh, drive or um, how levels progress. And all of these uh, pieces are different mechanics, point systems, leaderboards. And that's gamification. Yes. Basically building in these tools to help you earn the stars mm-hmm. or, you know, collaborate in certain ways. Mm-hmm. Whereas the science is the idea of how do you implement and how do you add this into a core curriculum course uh, to teach. I have yeah. to ask you, Katie, we, we were talking about lifelong learning also for grown-ups. You know, with, with the speed of change, I think the grown-ups will have to be continually learning as well. And then what we find is that What I find is that very often the CEOs say, well, you have to take individual responsibility for your own learning. And the schools are saying, well, you know, we can't do this yet not yet because there are no, there's no way of financing. There is no defined curriculum and everybody's waiting for somebody. Yet maybe if we just did it and used some gamification, everybody would get on. Yeah, if we started looking at what is already available today, I mean, there's a ton of Uh, innovative companies, not just in Scandinavia, but globally that are working in how do we gamify our learning, not just for youth, but for in incorporation learning and for even elderly learning and cognitive training of the brain. Can you give us some examples? In the cognitive training for yes. elderly. Uh, they're using things like Sudoku and chess in some elderly homes to help encourage the usage of the frontal and parietal cortices of the brain to help retrain them when they've started to lose that function, the memory function being one of the main ones. And the ability to multitask is even something that starts to decline with age if it's not being used. And so using these games forces you to use more parts of the brain and more more often 
And then beyond chess Sudoku, they're also using video games in some elderly homes in which, a, for example, there is one that's being used right now where the elderly person will drive a car and at the same time they need to keep it center and uh, hit different signs uh, along the way. And this is helping them do the multitasking and the, and the um, memory. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. And, and back to the gamification for business. Do you, do you see some examples that, that could help us remember that? Yeah, certainly for recruitment, gamification can be huge. You can find some of the smartest minds by going into the game space. Uh, one thing um, some of the investment companies are doing now are creating open platforms for people around the world to create their own alphas for investment. And then they're coming in and finding the best of those wherever they come from in the world and then pulling them in for interviews. It's how, funny how people love a challenge. Love it. They did the same for um, when some some of the researchers are trying to crack the one of the viruses uh, related to AIDS. They It was called Fold It, and it was a protein folding game. And they found uh, the solution to how the protein folded by having it outsourced to the world. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, not only in terms of computing power, but also in terms of algorithms, mm -hmm. basically. I, I listened to uh, the guy, one of the, the manager of Hyperloop, Elon Musk's uh, big uh, public transportation solution or whatever it is. And they have also used gamification for engineering. And they actually, you know, what they use and they hire you based on this part-time platform contribution and you get stocks in Hyperloop. And people have been doing amazing engineering feats for them simply because they want to play. It's incredibly powerful. A lot mm. of companies are doing it to recruit and find the, the best and brightest and the crowdsourcing um, ability as well, which on top of gamification makes it all the more powerful because then you're getting the macro amount of information. So if we go back to um, Magnus effect, um, so he's a great strategic thinker. Um, there is a very well-defined set of, you know, he's he's in this very kind of structured space. Yet, I, I believe that most thoughts on strategy actually come down to a few very strategic, well-defined spaces and then can be transferred. If, if we only knew the rules, I think we could apply them in business in general, is what I'm trying to say. Can you see that effect on strategy in companies? Well, the way that you think about chess is kind of like how a computer thinks. It's, you know, a series of decision points that you make and you make those decisions based on a huge amount of data. So certainly in companies, you can be thinking, okay, here's the strategic decision point, looking at it like a decision tree and then assimilating the data from that particular area. You need to know what the question is mm. and what the point <laughs> First, is. Yeah. No, but I'm saying in chess, you probably know the question because you've seen the situation and you know what dilemma you actually have to solve. 
And, and, and I think men, we are too unstructured in the way we think strategies in companies, to be honest, um, ad hoc, in spite of all the models that we use, and especially in these disruptive times. So I guess in the more disruptive and unco- unfamiliar the situation is, the more you should use some co- kind of a structured thinking aid. Certainly, and, and also creative. Uh, because when you become, when you find the unstructured and you get in a place that's, it's not very clear about what is the next step. One of the things that chess teaches and can be transferred to business is that the creativity piece is how do you innovate around this this problem? The disruptive kind of Magnus play. Yes, exactly. Coming back to that. How do you find the courage to do that? I mean, where does he decide that, you know, I know this has been a well-known strategy for a long time. Uh, you know, all the past world champions have relied on it. I'm going to do something different. I think one of the things that is Magnus's strong suit is his utter confidence. And it's not arrogance, it's true confidence and knowledge that he has the tools that it takes to get there. And and chess does teach the skill, the skill of confidence. You see it in kids that are playing in school. If they're winning their games, their confidence is being built. And even so that they can challenge the established wisdom. Absolutely. That's hugely important in today's society with all the information that we see that kids are absorbing from different uh, information channels. The ability to question and say, hmm, wait a minute, maybe there's another way to do this. Maybe there's a better way to do this or maybe that's not right. And I'll try it. And then if I fail, I've learned something yeah, new. Even better. Yes. No, but I, but I, I, I think this is really important because I think the, the, the problem is that you know, our biggest leaders have been taught to be fail-free or at least to present themselves as so confident, but in a way that they cannot fail. Well, I think that's actually something that's stopping them being disruptive enough. It's, it creates fear. It creates fear if you are portraying yourself as never having failed. One of the things that Magnus has done very openly is failed. He has lost games. He has, you know, thrown his pen down in games and he's been pissed off. And and I think it's important to be able to express that, hey, it doesn't always go your way. That's a huge learning, especially for youth. If they think that they're going to come out of school and the first time they fail, that it's game over. Well, that's that's a big problem. You're not going to have innovators. You're not going to have people like Elon Musk coming out of the woodwork from, from our education system that are willing to take that risk. Um, somebody, uh, I think Einstein actually said... Um, the only way to stop failing is to stop trying or something like that. <laughs> and, and I think it's really important. I, and I think at some point we get lazy and we get too big to fail in a way. And that's where we stop growing. Mm. And so uh, remembering that even, you know, the best brains in the world like Magnus actually do need to fail in order to reach new levels, I think is a, a good example to all of us. Absolutely. It self-challenges. Like you reflect on, okay. I messed up here, but how do I get better? And that can be transferred into any business leader as well. Okay, you've made a wrong decision here. It didn't go the right way. How do you maneuver around that? Um, I'm just trying to see if we are going to move away from Magnus in our... Um, so, so, no, I actually want to go back to, to something else you said. Um, you came to Norway because of love. You found an amazing new business model around the unique resource. Um, first of all, uh, do you think that being international in your role makes you better at that job than maybe a 
very uh, locally trained person would be. So I actually want to challenge you on that because I've seen that many Norwegian um, uh, headhunters and CEOs do not really appreciate the international perspective enough because they think, well, that's something that's obvious or, you know, we all it's like, you know, one of those things that we all know. But I actually think that it has a huge advantage having been out there. And then you see the Norwegian advantage is better, but also the challenges. Can you reflect on that? Absolutely. <laughs> um, yes, I to answer in short, I do believe being international has greatly helped in my job today, um, mainly because I've worked in the environment, in the North American environment, and a ton of our business is done in the U.S. You come from a different perspective having been outside. And that's not to say that a Norwegian couldn't step into my role and do this job equally as well. But certainly when you come from the outside, you have a different perspective. And I also view that. How so? Well, I can look at it the other way as that I've come from not the chess world into the chess world. And had I been a chess player and came into the chess world with a great deal of knowledge around it, I would have continued doing things the way they've always been done. By the way, I love that point, because very often when they, you know, screen you for hiring, they will check your experience within the industry. Yeah. And, you know, there is this old phrase about they have to have seen the film before and so on. And I think, well, if you've seen the film before, maybe you have become a little too narrow minded in terms of how the film plays out and it stops you from being disruptive enough. So maybe if you had been, you know, a great chess player, maybe the only thing you would think about Magnus is let's see how we can create, you know, a digital Magnus or sell more ads. Yet you think about something completely different. Completely. I mean, my first point was how do we design it better? How do we make it more beautiful, accessible for girls that are 10 years old, as well as men in their 60s? And this way of thinking created a lot of backlash right off the bat. When we first launched the Play Magnus app, my inbox was filled with people pissed off about how I changed the way the pieces looked and how our team had created the colors different. And now it's, you know, run design awards and it's one of the most used chess apps today. We have over two million. We even have sweaters. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so it, it's to say that having someone come out from, you know, out of country or out of industry brings in a whole new perspective. And that's where a lot of innovation can happen, as well as um, creating something that is meaningful to more people. But how do you convince them to take a bet on you? <laughs> that's tough. Mm. There's it's there's no two ways about it. It's difficult to say, hey, I'm going to try it this way, and it's never been proven before, but I have some data that shows that this might actually work. And I think that comes down to, okay, we have some data, being able to show that to take the bet, doing your research, doing your background work, showing that there is a space for this. I think uh, I had my share of stumbling. I bet. <laughs> or <laughs> and, not. <laughs> and my, my kind of take on this is that you have to find the person who really sees you. Mm. Uh, it's personal. And until you have somebody who knows what you can do, it's going to be a really tough uh, competition with the ones who fit in the box much yeah. better. And then the other thing is, as you said, I think being very concrete. So actually being able to say something very concrete for the particular company, on the particular strategy, uh, on the, you know, even particular product and get them to understand that you have some very strong skills that you can apply off the bat, as yeah. you say. And to come back to coming into Norway, 
it, it was six years ago when I first came here and I did find that it was far more difficult then than maybe it would be today. And maybe there has been some change. But it, when I first came here, I had, you know, a background and had an MBA. I had already had a startup when I was 23, had been running for five years successfully back in Canada. And and these these things didn't seem to really come into play because I wasn't from Norway. And I wasn't, uh, I didn't have an education from Norway. And, and we that, don't really know the school of yours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is the thing. And, and it was tough. And that's not to, to complain, but it's more about, there's a lot of resources here in Oslo alone that are being untapped because they're being overlooked uh, because of where they're from. But they don't even know what doors to knock on and what where do they, where should they start? Uh, well, where I started was going to every seminar and conference I could find that was in the space that I was looking to to um, enter. And I also started consulting pro bono when I first uh, started getting into the field until, like you said, someone saw me for who I was and what I could do and then put a bet on me. And that first person uh, here in, in Oslo was Christian Thomason. I worked with him in doing some impact investment research, and he's now uh, on the board of Responsibility, a big impact investing firm. And it was that um, first real gig that I had that allowed me to lead into new opportunities and eventually meet Anders and, and Espen, which brought me here today. Mm. I think uh, my, my if I can generalize, and probably I'm wrong then immediately, but Usually there has to be some sort of a disruptive uh, tendency in the CEO for him to really be uh, uh, willing to take a bet on these poten high potentials. Um, because too often people say, yeah, we want people with high potential rather than, you know, necessarily a proven track record. But it's so much safer to play it on the proven track record and the same kind of schools. And, and then you get the same, same. The other thing I really want to kind of dig in a little bit with you, Katie, is the, the, the thing you as an, uh, as an international talent came here and then started working with a very unusual kind of natural resource in Norway. And it's not only super brain power, but the, this kind of critical thinking, this kind of disruptive confidence. And I think, you know, Norwegians, the narrative they have is that they are too close to natural resources and that's how they've built their wealth. They simply got lucky and they found oil. And I actually think they, they were much more than lucky because they were uniquely skilled in exploiting that resource and the water resources before it and other natural resources before this again in a very um, stubborn and irreverent way. You know, they do things differently with technology related to natural resources. And very often people go back to the Darwin quotation about, you know, you can't be the biggest, it's not uh, biggest and the strongest, but the most um, uh, adaptive that win the evolutionary race. But Charles Darwin said something else that I think we really should remember in a small country like Norway that actually has done some amazing stuff, like creating Magnus. <laughs> and uh, he says that it's where the environmental pressure is the highest that evolution um, kind of works most effectively. Mm. And here we really have a very high <laughs> uh, environmental pressure with this, you know, t quite tough history and quite tough climate and quite tough geography and so on. So what I really want to ask you about is tapping into human resource 
as a unique. I mean, there are some things about Norwegians that I think they should be more proud of than they really are. And it doesn't have to do with simply discipline and, you know, being good at skiing. It has to do with, with you know, way of this individualism and, and, and being able to think uniquely um, and then spread the goods equally. I mean, do, do, do you have any perspectives on that? As a foreigner. <laughs> yeah, coming to Norway, one of the things I wasn't aware of at first was how innovative it is here. And I saw that start to come out more and more in these past few years as more initiatives have come forward, the Innovation Forum, Innovation Week, um, and starting to see that, wow, there really is a lot happening here. Why isn't it as global as it should be? And and sometimes you start to reflect on, is it this Jenteloven that, <laughs> that they're shy to, to share? Uh, to promote these, a lot of these innovations outside of the country. Um, it, it, yeah. I think that uh, one of the legendary prime ministers have said something like, it's typically Norwegian to be good. And as, as nice as it sounds, I actually think it's counterproductive because it also stops people from being able to claim that we're actually best, not only good. And I think you have to be very precise when you want to say what you're good at or best at, I mean. And you mentioned Scandinavian design. Yeah, you know, it's okay. But as soon as we start really, you know, saying, well, look at Snöhetta. I mean, you know, they get the most prestigious architecture awards and, and, and projects in the world. And yet we don't really say how big they are. <laughs> you know, oh, well, they're not making that much money, you know, is the sort of comment. And, and how do we go beyond this? Well, it's a cultural piece as well, um, instituting this type of thinking in our, in our youngest generation around how can you be proud and promote the things that you're doing? I mean, it, it's not just about self-promotion. It's also about creation. Because when you start talking about what you're working on and what you're creating or what the ideas that you have, more people can come into that fold and start to extrapolate upon it, create something bigger, create something that uh, affects more people in a more positive way. So certainly when you look at a country like the U.S., which is so pro-self and so... Uh, self-promoting I mean maybe it's to another extreme but taking pieces of that of how they uh, look at and it's teach okay their kids. It's okay to be ambitious as long mm -hmm. as the goods are spread to all. Exactly in the end. like mm. without looking at it from a way that's hurting others and, and in Norway that's a really beautiful thing with the country that does respect the social side of of government and how to lead a population is that that is already instilled in the populace so how do you bring in a little bit more um, not competitiveness, but independence and autonomy and uh, promotion around great ideas. I, I, I think also you talk about something that I think is so important in these digitally transformative times. I like to talk about digitalization as three buckets of kind of strategic focuses. One is about the efficiencies. So basically you do what you do today, just quicker, faster, better, and maybe creating a digital chessboard that, you know, people could train against Magnus would be something like efficiency. If you found really cool ways of commercializing that, then that would be business transformation, my other bucket. And the third bucket is social transformation. And what really fascinates me is that you, you Katie, talk so much about the social transformation responsibility of your business. And I think um, it's a great example because I think uh, it gives us opportunities, both your unique resource, which is Magnus, but also the you know, combination of how it 
plays into the necessity for new kinds of learning, new kinds of lifelong learning, new kinds of uh, social interactions, etc., uh, into transforming the, the, the society that you live in. Businesses have a social responsibility as well. Absolutely. And it's not so easy to measure as the, you know, margins or... No, impact is very difficult to measure. And when you look at for companies that are doing corporate social responsibility activities and how are they measuring them, it's very it's very difficult to, to have specific targets because you can't always put it in a numerical form. So how do you convince your board? I mean, how do you measure your social impact and, and how do you get buy-in mm -hmm. from the owners? Well, talking to the board around social impact, it, it is very intertwined into what we do day to day. And, and it's also Magnus's vision, which is very important. So that in and of itself makes it quite uh, easy because it's already our mission. Our mission is socially driven. Uh, but that's not to say a company that doesn't have a quote-unquote socially driven mission can't convince its board to have that intertwined into the company's value system and, and what they do. And looking at incorporating that into a company's way of operating is likely going to bring out more benefits as more people become more aware of the company, whether it's through impact in schools, the youth come into the company as employees later or customers, that you can't necessarily measure these 1v1. Um, but when it comes to convincing our board, it's it's very much around Magnus's goal, Magnus's vision, and the fact that uh, every kid that downloads our app is actually using their brain instead of using something like Candy Crush or Clash of Clans, where you're probably gaining some skills there too because they are games, but we're really focusing on using the brain in a more in a more educational way. Mm. Yeah. Super cool. Uh, we have to um, go for landing and I have my final two questions for you. One is your advice to politicians. What oh. can they learn from Play Magnus and chess? Maybe it wouldn't be advice so much as an ask. Uh, and that would be, um, how is it that chess isn't brought more into the education system here in Norway when it teaches these skills that are so important for our youth? And how is it that it's not promoted more widely when a national hero, Magnus, is uh, showing the incredible power that it has? Yeah. Can I ask you something? Is there a little bit of a kind of an opera factor here in the sense that it's considered a little elitist? Chess? Chess, yeah. Is, is, is that what they fear? I sure hope not, because how we view chess as an equalizer. Anybody from anywhere, male, female, young, old, from anywhere in the world can, can play this game. Can play mm. this game. And and not and looking at chess as elitist uh, yes it might attract those that are in the elite fields a lot of financiers and politicians play the game because it's training strategy but it is uh, it is as open as football you can play it with pieces that are made with crunched up pieces of paper and and play on a board and we view it very much as a learning tool and as a an equalizing sport that can be used from anyone anywhere very cool. My other question to you, Katie, is um, um, your advice to um, what, who, who may, maybe corporate CEOs, what they can, what can they um, adopt from the world of chess, the world of game science? 
I think from a game science perspective and how to put game into the the corporation, it's important to understand how to apply it and not to just mindlessly, you know, patch it over things to make it quote unquote more fun or interesting. It's really about Don't just throw around buzzwords. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like really understand does it work here? And what am I trying to accomplish by having gamification put into this area of my business? Um, certainly that and and maybe also from for those that are running larger companies is how do you bring in and pull in entrepreneurial minds that will innovate your company in ways that you might not be thinking from up top having those come from outside like we spoke about earlier how do you get in people from outside your industry outside of your country to bring in this this next wave this next move Katie, thank you so much. It was a pleasure talking to you. I, I learned a lot about chess also this time. Um, thank you for sharing your time and your vision with us at the podcast about the heroes building the new Norway. Thank you so much for having me. Tusen tack for att du hørte på podcastserien De som bygger den nye Norge. For flere episoder og annet innhold, gå in på obeforum.no. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.